Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. This is Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events in the world of golf. My name is Neil Tappin and I have just one other fellow podcaster with me in the studio today, Nick Bonfield. Nick, hi, how are you? Yes, good, thanks Neil, yes. We've managed to get rid of Tom. About time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tom, if you're listening... Um, shame you're not here. Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, okay, so in this podcast, it's going to be a slightly different uh, topic for this particular podcast. Uh, it's one of those weeks on tour where, oh, I don't know how to say this without being rude. We're not maybe quite as interested. <laughs> Fair. It's we are not, always not that in, much happening. We're always interested in what goes on on tour, yet there's always scope for us to talk, talk about stuff that isn't related to tour because golf is a very big space. Not everything that goes on in golf happens on tour. Um, and in this particular podcast, Nick, you and I are going to look ahead to four years' time, 2020. So the idea here is that we are going to predict what the world of golf might look like uh, in 2020. Um, tour golf that is who will be doing well who won't be doing well what we expect to have happened by the time we listen back to this podcast in four years time Nick you might even have a girlfriend by then well you know (laughs) stranger things have happened (laughs) I'm sorry that was harsh wasn't it you weren't expecting that listen if I was upset by your criticism and comments I would uh, be long gone (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah feedback 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 Feedback. constructive feedback Uh, okay so what we're going to do is we both come up with (laughs) Nick's chuckling to himself it's outrageous (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, one thing's for sure I won't have any hair in in four years time so if that makes you feel a bit better no I'm still going to be lonely aren't I (laughs) I'm joking, I'm joking. Life's good. <laughs> um, well, you're off to a stag do this afternoon, so... Exactly. Bournemouth, where all good stag do's end up. <laughs> yeah, I've been to a stag do in Bournemouth. It was... I couldn't possibly even begin to explain what happened. It, it's definitely not for broadcast. Yeah. Cha- chaotic would be the word. <laughs> yeah. It'd probably be easy to describe it when looking back. <laughs> anyway, we were supposed to be talking about what was going to happen in the world we of golf. We suddenly got onto your love life and stag <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my lack of hair. Uh, anyway, um, so we're going to come up with five predictions. Things that we expect will have happened by the time... You listen back to this podcast. Anyone listens back to... We listen back to this podcast in four years' time. Uh, in 2020. So... Um, Nick, why don't you get us underway? What's your first prediction? Start bold. Go on. By the year 2020, Tiger Woods will have won another major championship. Um, okay, where do I begin with this one? Um, given that Tiger hasn't played any real competitive, hasn't played a lot of competitive golf almost since he he broke his leg at the US Open in 2008 he has played he he's been back for periods he's been out for periods he's back for periods out he's not played enough consistent golf since 2008 that's a long time ago well i mean he was the PGA Tour player of the year in 2013 and won five events <laughs> so i think that probably counts <laughs> no listen there is a giant caveat here and that is he stays healthy on his return for a period of 6 months if he does that, I think he'll go on to win another major. I think it will just be one. I don't see him threatening Jack's record, but he can certainly contend at Augusta blindfolded. If he doesn't make it through six months on his return, I think that will genuinely be it. And I think Tiger knows this, given how severe his latest injury setback was, and I think he will go on the golf course and try actively not to thrash at the ball, and that's the thing that really concerns me about him. Yeah. You, just, you sort of almost wince when he's doing it, don't you? Like, don't do that, Tiger. You, you 
don't need to hit it that extra five, ten yards. You, you're good enough to compete and win without that extra distance. Uh, do, do you know what, Nick? I don't think it's the him trying to lash at it. Actually, I just got. We were discussing it earlier. In fact, I was. I've just got through reading Hank Haney's book, The Big Miss. Uh, rereading it actually because I'd, I'd recommended it to some friends. They were asking me questions about it, and I couldn't remember a thing about what I'd read. So I, I was just trying to remember exactly. Um, all the detail of the book and it's it's very interesting for one specific reason to me and that 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 hank haney talks about tiger having the drive driver yips pretty much from the time which he started working with him back in 2004 and i think that what you look at when you see and you look it looks like he's lashing at it that's just a complete and utter lack of confidence and effectively it's this full swing yip that means when the driver's in his hands there is an issue now god knows whether he's going to have the driver yips when he comes back we haven't seen him play golf for such a long time if he if he's able to Look after that part of his game, yeah. and that part of his game's okay. Because that's where the issues stem from. It, it does look, it does look like he's giving the ball an almighty whack of a tee and really chasing after it, though, doesn't it? And as you say, that obviously stems from his. But I don't think he's trying to whack it really hard. It just, it I just looks think it's jumpy. More, he jumps almost more than it. any other player. He looks an uncomfortable motion when he goes after the ball. He just needs to smooth that off a bit. And if he can do that and just hit the six months of playing more than he used to play, hopefully. Uh, sort of plays more events than because he used to only play a couple before each major and maybe play 14, 15, 16 a year. I like to see him get up slightly from that mark and just get back into the routine of playing competitive golf. What do you think about the chipping yips that he had when he came back? I think as far as I'm concerned, he's fixed those. I think he was actually chipping much better towards the middle to end of last year. Well, I think he had two top 18 finishes in his last three events at the Wyndham and the Wow. Not the Wells Fargo. I couldn't even begin to compete his, his event that he hosted anyway and, and he looked much better and he'd obviously a byproduct of his injury is the fact that he's been able to spend a lot of time chipping purely because he hasn't been able to do full swings <laughs> very true do you think tiger still would have the hunger do you think I tiger think I... thinks he can firstly do you think tiger thinks he can still get the record and if he doesn't think he can get the record does he still have the hunger to try and, and, and compete and win i think he absolutely still thinks he can get the record yeah i mean put it this way if he comes back looks like he's going to come back within the next couple of months he's 40 julius boros won a major when he was 48 <laughs> a different era different era not, um, not competing against rory McIlroy, and jordan spieth and jason yeah. dane but tell you who he was doing that was tom watson when he almost won at 59 true Very he's true. got a lot of time left i don't think he'll do it still i absolutely think he believes believes he can i think the crucial thing as well is that he's actually missed being on tour and just hanging out with his friends and his peers more than i think he probably imagined he would well hang on a second tiger was he was hardly one of the guys was he tiger he, he was so different he, from everybody he else was, he was he, a superstar he seems you know? to genuinely miss their company i never thought i'd say it either but that's what i've got from some of his recent rhetoric okay well uh, one thing i would say is if you have sky tv and you um uh, find yourself um, flicking around for something to watch. Sky have got an absolutely fantastic um, uh, interview with Tiger Woods that they're showing at the moment. Nick, I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's um, in the build-up to the Open this year. Right. I think it's been done by the RNA in conjunction with Rolex or something, and they've got the time with Tiger, and it, I've never seen him anywhere near as candid. He's so open. Well, what The way he talks about himself, his relationship with his father, the, the open triumphs that he had, it's well worth a watch. That documentary is fan fantastic. And this has been a theme that's accelerated over the last year or so. He has really opened up. He has. Interesting I, think, I think possibly therapy. therapy. You know, he went through just therapy, just didn't he? Just letting his guard down a little yeah. bit, becoming more, more human. Trying to, yeah, and also 
he's been less in the spotlight, hasn't he, over the last... So you can be a little bit more open, I think. Anyway, Do you, do you think, though, that he will, if he makes it six months injury-free, do you think he'll win another major? Uh, okay, well, I guess that oh, no, leads me on to my prediction. hypothetical So I, I have a Tiger Woods prediction as well, okay. Nick, so I might as well just get it done. Yep. My um, prediction relating to Tiger is that I think by the time um, 2020 comes around, Tiger will be retired. I think there's too many psychological scars now for Tiger to for him to really, really compete week in, week out at the highest level. And whilst I appreciate he's probably been the most dedicated golfer of his generation he's you know he's very much a believer in this idea that you but the champions are not born they're made and that he worked harder than everybody else and that he tried and I mean I don't know how hard everybody works I don't know all I know is that Tiger works extremely hard I don't know whether he has that same drive for golf he's achieved fantastic things in the game and you hold his record up now and you and yeah we've done it in a podcast mm-hmm. we talked about his record versus Jack Nicholas uh, uh, Jack Nicholas's record and the two side by side yeah Jack's won more majors but there's a very very good case to be made for Tiger being the greatest golfer of all time that's fair I think two things I think one he still does have that drive just my interpretation of him Um, and second I think the psychological scars to some extent stem from injury so if he does have a period of being injury free I think he'll start to rebuild in that area the next the six months after he come back absolutely critical because I think if he injures himself again, he's done. There yeah, has th- to come a point where you draw a line in the sand. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah, I would agree. Back I would completely agree. Months. I would completely it, agree with what you're saying. The two areas that he's had most injuries in knee and back, they're not areas that are easily fixed either. No, so. no, they're not. And I think with Tiger, the the. the Placed alongside the psychological scarring will be whether he can find a golf swing that he is able to to make that makes him competitive that also doesn't injure him. This that, is, it's all this tied is in, the, key, the key factor, and it is tied in, because Woods always wants to be the best at everything he does, and I think that extends into the driving distance sphere, and this is where I'm slightly concerned, is that he sees other guys out there smashing the ball 340 yards, <laughs> and he wants to be in that club as he, well. He's not immune to that desire to uh, be up there, and, and having been the longest very, on tour when he was younger, it's hard for him not to, to give up on that. He's going to find that very difficult. But he'll be older, he'll be wiser, maybe he will be able to swallow that pill. You would, you would think, after all of these injury setbacks, that he would be wiser, so yeah. let's hope he is. Uh, can I just say, I hope I'm wrong, I hope Tiger has hasn't retired from the yeah. game that some of my most uh, excited moments watching golf have been watching Tiger that's for sure certainly everybody of our generation who's watched golf over the last 20 years or so will have really enjoyed watching I just can't see it now I just knowing what golf does to a man, a man you know, bad golf injuries these things do to a yeah. person's psyche definitely he, he was undoubtedly terrible at the start of last year but he did actually play some pretty good golf it was the quick and loans national and the Wyndham, he finished tied 10th in the Wyndham and 18th in the Quicken Loans National. And he was playing some good golf. Yeah. His iron play was really, really good. And I remember actually think, thinking back on it now that I was, I was getting very excited about the prospect of Woods winning the PGA Championship. I think I put some money on him having watched his iron play at the Quicken Loans National. So, okay. He's still got some game. It's oh, just uh, whether his, his back can hold up. Uh, of course. Of course, it goes without saying that he's still got some game. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> um, I think it's enough to beat you and me. I would say comfortably, so. yeah, I'd say that's fair. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, your next prediction, Nick Mickelson to win a U.S. Open. Right, you're going quite bold because quite you, bold. Your first two predictions are for people to overcome big, big, big psychological hurdles, yeah. and I would suggest that both of those predictions are based more on hope than on reality. 
I just think theory. maybe I've just been is. tainted by the fairy tale of Leicester and I want to see the fairy tale spill across the golf. But Mickelson has rededicated himself, is crucially hitting a lot more fairways as well. And no one wants to win that tournament more than, than Phil. And he deserves to, his legacy deserves for him to have won that tournament. And I really, really want to see it happen. Uh, having finished runner-up five times, is it? Something painful like that? Yeah, it is. It's five times, isn't it? And, and weirdly, when you think about the way that US Opens are set up and they're set up to be so difficult off the tee, you would have thought that this would have been the most difficult for him to, to win. And I guess the proof is in the pudding. He hasn't won one. But having comes close five times, it would suggest that he does have a game to win a US Open. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of that is down to the short game because the rough is so penal. Not everyone's just being off punished. the tee, but around yeah. the greens as well. So you have to have huge faith in your short game to be able to play some of those greenside splash shots from the thick rough. And we all know that Mickelson can pull off every imaginable shot from around the greens. So if he can play more shots from the middle of the fairway, as he has been doing this season, and his putting's looked slightly steadier as well, hopefully if you marry all those things together, he's going to give himself at least one more chance. And I'd like to think he's a kind of personality who would take that chance if it was offered to him. Who would see history calling and, and be able to rise to the challenge. Yeah, he's the kind of guy to. that would embrace, as a history maker, he's the kind of guy you would hope would embrace that. Yeah, well, I would echo that. Having I'm... said that, he played terribly at Merion when he was... <laughs> Yeah, I think he had the 54-hole lead and he was awful. I know he held a, a shot for an eagle. When Justin won? When Justin won, yeah. He came second, though. Yeah, but he, he went into the final round, I think, one or two shots clear and he just hacked it around the golf course. It was. Yeah, I know he, he did hold a shot. He, he, he held, held he a shot a from shot. the 10th fairway, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, for think, eagle. But yeah. aside from that, he was dreadful. Yeah, that was a great US Open. Well, Brilliant. I mean, I would say one of the great... Um, what golf watching experiences I've had was watching Mickelson on the final round of the Open at Muirfield uh, on a golf course that was brutally hard and fast and a real ball strikers test because the only way to control your golf ball is through doing it through the flight. And I remember that driver driver here on seventeen. It was three with three wood. Was it three? Yeah, three-wood? because wow. he was the only player that got up, and the reason he was able to get up, Nick, is because he was able to hit a draw and go and the ball go with the wind. Mm. So because the wind was off the left. Yeah, that makes sense. Off to the left, blowing left to right. Yeah. And whilst all the other players in the field, all the right-handers, were having to hit fades um, to get the ball as far up the fairway as possible, yeah. and obviously fades taking distance off the ball, Mickelson's able to hit two hard draws, and he did that. He mm. knocked it on. It was just... It was fantastic, wasn't yeah, it? it was. um, I really enjoyed watching it. And I've, I've also seen him in the flesh a few times, and he's breathtaking to watch. Um, so... He's one of the game's greats. It would be remiss if he didn't win a US Open, so I'm with you on that one. I'd, I'd like to see it happen. I don't think it will, but hey-ho. Uh, my uh, second prediction is that I think Ricky Fowler will win an Open. That's a, a very logical sound one. Uh, I think I, I look back to 2011 at St. George's. St. George's, yeah. When Down Clark one. He still had this reputation as... Uh, sort of a flashy kind of golfer, flaky, flashy, not much substance. You know, <laughs> substance. Substance. Sw- <laughs> <laughs> it's a Dutch. Dutch so he had this swashbuckling star, but really there wasn't a great deal behind that front. And actually, that was completely disproved because in the atrocious conditions, he compiled. I think he shot sixty nine on the on the Friday, and it was absolutely brutal, horrific. The sort of weather that if you and I play golf in that 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 weather. The scores would have been horrendous. Genuinely. And he <laughs> was absolutely magnificent. Had his ball on a piece of string, played every imaginable shot that you need to succeed on the Lynx golf course. I think that turned most people's heads. Then obviously he went on the following year to win his first PGA Tour title and it's gradually ramped up since then. And played well at Hoylake. And finished second well at Hoylake. Hoylake. Um, 
I, I, yeah. He, uh, lo- he loves the creative aspect of golf more than most Americans. It, exactly. And I think, actually, Ricky Fowler falls into this category of being one of those players who will have done, who, whose career, it's difficult to really say at this moment in time, but I suspect he's one of these players whose career would have been better had he been born in a different generation. So he, he is uh, an old school, old fashioned golfer, someone who hits every shot in the book, someone who has a picture in his mind for how the ball's going to fly, someone who controls his flight and his spin. For every single shot, um, as sort of an old-fashioned shot maker, and that's what you need to be to be a, a winner at the Open. Definitely, I, I think if there's any major he's going to win, he's probably most likely to win that, given how he's conducted himself in the past on, on links layouts. So, yes, good one. I agree. Okay, we'll move on then. Uh, number three, what's your third one? Sticking with a somewhat unlikely theme, <laughs> going with Sergey Garcia to be retired from professional golf having registered no major victories you're not a big fan of Sergio's are you Nick we discussed this in the lift on the way down I to the stu- his, his studio demeanour irritates me and it's very much at odds with his talent levels and I just think he, he's showed at times in this past that he's a bit disenchanted with the game and I can just see after another couple of years of limited success he has other interests maybe him just saying you know what I've had a good run the Let's biggest there. the biggest factor that potentially might prevent him from doing that. Ryder Cup. No, I, I just think it's difficult to walk away from when you're commercially tied into a lot of big brands. It's hard. Not saying that he would need the money, but that it would be hard to walk away. Yeah, but a lot of people depending on you, a lot of people rely... So I think that would be a factor. I think the fact that there's unfinished business with Sergio, a bit like with, with Tiger and, mm-hmm. and Phil. You've, I mean, I remember when Sergio finished second at, at Carnoustie and I interviewed Paul McGinley afterwards and, and McGinley was telling me that he felt that... that that Sergio has been in the best ball strikers of his generation, you know, has been so good. It would be a tragedy if he didn't win a major. It would be a much. tragedy, and and that's he's so good that that's why it's so difficult to account for his negative mindset. And and it really bothers me because someone who's that good should be walking with an air of confidence and superiority, and he just doesn't. And and he's taken time away from golf before, didn't he? Yeah. Take six months off after, to go and play football or something. After whistling like straights or something, was it God, after the USPGA? Exactly and he he had a real head-off moment where he lost his he did, rag. and he often says he said in interviews before he doesn't think he's good enough to win a major and it's just it's a puzzling it's a puzzling mindset it, it really is perplexing and i just wouldn't be totally shocked to one day wake up to the news that sergio decided to call it a day if any golfer in the world's top 20 at the moment were to do that if i were to ask you that question garcia would probably be high on that list wouldn't he yeah you? i guess so i guess so it would be i mean i think I've got more sympathy with Sergio because I feel I feel sorry for him that he's for whatever reason not for whatever reason hasn't got over the line. He I does he doesn't seize the initiative. The, and I was uh, chatting to you on the way down in the lift about the Players Championship uh, last year when he was in the three man playoff with Ricky Fowler and Kevin Kisner and he hit three wood off the 18th tee and hit a medium iron into that green instead of just backing his good driver of the golf ball instead of just hitting a driver down they're going in with a wedge and trying to seize the tournament and win it. It's just that conservative approach that. I really struggle to understand. Yeah, I, I say I, I feel a bit more sympathy with him because I feel like he's been a victim of the Tiger Woods generation. I think Tiger um, outplayed him originally, and then once he outplayed him, then Sergio mentally was, you know, always a step behind. Tiger. And there was always that comparison between the two as well, yeah, which didn't help. Which didn't help. And I also think so. I think there's the Tiger factor, and I think there's the fact that he's been a bit unlucky. And I think had he got across the line, uh, firstly at Medina, had he beaten, was it Medina? 
where he played the shot from under the tree yeah. in the PGA. Yeah, had he managed to, to pull that one off, mm. his career could be, look completely yeah. different now. He had, be... had he managed to beat Podrick in the, the US PGA in 08, or that had was... he beaten Podrick in 07 when that putt that inexplicably yeah. li- lipped out, it might have all been a very different story. So I have, I, I, I'm going to say something potentially a bit controversial, but I much prefer, for instance, the Sergio Garcia character to a Luke Donald character. And the reason that I have a problem with Luke Donald is I, I love Luke to watch. He's got the fantastic golf swing, but I've never seen him in, in contention for a major. I think there was one time when Sergio won, uh, sorry, when Tiger Woods won the USPGA at Southern Hills, I think it was, but I might be wrong. And Luke was in the last group with Tiger and he was Luke also got slight got into contention at Marion the year that Justin Rose he, he won, played, but then he played in the same group as Justin. At yeah, Marion. and but I mean, other than that, give me an example of when Luke has been really in the hunt. I mean, like properly. Yeah, you're right. He's hunt. had a couple of top fives at the Masters, but those have been good good final rounds that have propelled him up the leaderboard. And that, I can't think of too many examples. That to me is more inexplicable. I don't get what. How come Luke hasn't been able to? He's been world number one. He's had the best short game in the world for a period of two or three years. It's a combination. How could he not have competed for a major, really up close and personal, come down the 17th hole with the lead or one off the lead or tied for the lead? I think length, of course, is a factor. And, and not just the fact that Luke Donald is quite short off the tee. He actually doesn't hit many fairways. So he's short and erratic. And with we've seen the trend of major championship layouts getting longer and longer over the years to the point now where they're in the 7-6 range. You can't compete on those layouts if you're missing fairways and not hitting the ball very far. You're trying to hit, you're trying <laughs> to hit tricky, some sort of it? wood or rescue club from 240 yards in a dodgy line of rough just to get it somewhere near the green. It's just not conducive to success. No, and there, there is obviously a mental issue there as well. I think that he allows his lack of distance to get more in his head than perhaps it it's, should. Uh, but you, yeah, I've got sympathy with him. That is sympathy, but then he should be not to. looking at the likes of Jim Furyk and Zach Johnson there as examples of people who have similar skill sets who have achieved uh, great things in the game and won majors. Yeah. Okay, well, my next uh, prediction, not not too much of a stretch, actually, this one, I don't think, is that someone... I'm really pushed the boat out on these ones. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone is going to break the duck on the European Tour and shoot 59. It's got to happen, isn't it? I think the layouts used on the European Tour mean it's trickier. Uh, you think some American target golf courses where there's not much rough and the ball's flying 350 yards and guys are going in with mid-irons to par fives and wedges to most par fours. It's easier. Whereas on the European Tour, less roll, generally less carry through the air, trickier courses where it's more about positioning. This is obviously a very general thing. I think it's harder to shoot lower numbers and get on a roll on those types of courses than it is on the, the standard archetypal American target layout where if you just catch fire, you can just make birdie after birdie and hit short short arms into most holes. Yeah. Well, I see. I, I, see, I get your point. But each week's what, different. What layout do you think it would... Uh, it would be somewhere like uh, Cran, uh, Cran Montana. But then that's, um, that's tight and tricky. I know, is, I know. Same actually, thing. It's not long and it's, it's kind of a... You know, Actually, anyone shooting fifty nine ago, almost shot fifty nine. There, I seem to remember, because yeah. there's something like three drivable par fours from four to six. It's, yeah, if you play aggressively there, if you're the kind of guy who hits it long and straight, and you're confident in hitting driver off most tees, that is the kind of course it can happen on. Yeah, but you look at, you look around at some of the other layouts; it's not not the easiest. And um, so oh, you think the to desert think is the type of place where it would happen? But those courses, the rough is so high and they're so long. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well... There's, there's got to be a reason why it hasn't happened. It's not certainly not to do with talent. No, I think the talent pool is there. I, I've, I think someone's going to do it. Someone, eventually someone will do it. Um, anyway. When uh, the European Tour form? 
number of years ago now and it hasn't happened. Yeah, it will happen. it'll happen in the next four years. I mean, a few players have had putts to do it. Philip Archer had a putt to do it. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick last year had a putt to do it. Um, where, where was that? Was that to Austria? No. Um, Crown Montana. No, I don't no. think it was. He played well there, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it possibly was. Um, scratching of heads going on in the studio yeah. here. Don't, neither of us know. Uh, let us know. <laughs> Send us a yeah. tweet. Um, uh, next prediction, for number four. Nick, go. There will be a golf course of more than 8,000 yards that hosts a PGA Tour event. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Even it's almost like a badge of honour, isn't it? The, the longer you can stretch it, some some course is going to go. You know, we're going to be the first one to to be uh, to break the eight thousand yard barrier. Do you remember? It wasn't long ago where there was a couple of four hundred ninety five yard par fours. I remember there was one at uh, TPC Boston. There was obviously a couple at Augusta, and guys are hitting driver two iron, driver five wood in there. And now a lot of these guys are actually hitting driver wedge. <laughs> I know. It's absurd. It is absurd. It's not only the driving distance, the iron distances, the increase in the distances that players are hitting their irons is incredible at the moment. What, what always strikes me when I'm watching the, the golf on TV is they'll do a, a look at the golf course. So they'll, they'll maybe take the 16th, 17th and 18th and they'll show them and they'll, they'll say, oh, 16 is a, is a long par four. The players are looking to hit driver into this area and that, that'll leave them a, you know, five or six iron into the green and then, then they then they, then they cut to Rory McIlroy he hits driver and then he hits a wedge and you think it actually hasn't caught up because you hear it in the commentary booth all the time someone hits a 320 yard drive and they're like oh what a massive drive like, that doesn't constitute a massive drive no that's more or less average for some of these guys yeah. a massive drive now is 350 360 370 look at Jason Day hitting the ball 380 yards at Whistling Straits last year incredible uh, uh, you hear it's about 180 yard 180 yard par three and he's pulled eight iron you're just like what I I just wish I think this is where Augusta National has a little bit of something to answer to because I think a lot of the courses that you see on the PGA Tour are wanting to produce a layout that looks as good as possible on TV which means very green very lush Mm. um, and they want their golf course to be played through the air however for me always 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 the best tests for the tour players are the ones where they you you need to get the golf ball on the ground quicker. So the ones that are hard and fast. I mean, remember Chambers Bay last year. Now, as crazy as the greens were, the greens were crazy bad. Like Thor- awful. Thoroughly enjoyed it, though. Awful, say, yeah. awful. But what a test of, of precision yeah. and shot making, of ball flight control. Judgment and, and rollout. Di- exactly. And, yeah. and the, I, I think you're right. I think there probably will be a tour event where they stretch it to 8,000 yards. But if they're looking to defend the golf course, then I always just think distance is just such... It's a nonsense. You could probably make it 9,000 yards and they'll still shoot under par. I agree. I, mean, I think I'd love to see it go the other way. So keep it as it is. Make it shorter. Really bring those fairways in. Some really cavernous bunkers around the greens and make the greens smaller. And that's how to test these yeah, players. Yeah, it's I not mean, to stretch the golf course. Exactly. Take, take for instance, Tiger Woods never played at, um, rarely ever played at Hilton Head because it's tight and it's tricky. Example. And it's, it's kind of... Enclosed, even if you hit the it? ball on the fairway there, sometimes you can't even see the green. Another example is the Hong Kong Open, yeah. uh, where it's less than 7,000 yards and the winning score is never above about, um, 11 or 12 under. Yeah, it's Brilliant. And the players love that. I've spoken to a few players who absolutely love that. I've spoken to Donald about it, Chris Wood about it, and they thoroughly enjoy those layouts because there's more strategy that comes into it. 
And that's why ultimately why you play the game in the first place is to maneuver your way around, play different shots, use your imagination and creativity, not just pull driver off every tee, and bang just, it down there into rough that's not really rough and flip a wedge onto no, the exactly. green. And it's playing game, game, the game by numbers. I, I'm as, as much of a convert to this idea of using launch monitors to fit drivers as anybody is. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that... The, the numbers that you see on a launch monitor might be perfect for a driving range, but what keeps you in play and keeps you scoring your best often, for, you know, often is different to what is perfect on the launch monitor. You know, something that just keeps you in play. Of, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think they probably will go to 8,000 yards. Whether or not it's, not, it's the right thing, I think we both agree it would be the but wrong thing But then if they did do. go to 8, I think then there would be some sort of backlash. There'd be so many people saying this is ludicrous, and then that might facilitate. Yeah, but some I remember sort of seven. It, same thing happened yeah. when there was the first seven thousand yard golf right. course. I remember. I think if that, that happened, then there'd be enough player discontent for it to be a real issue, and for the authorities to really consider where they were going. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, we'll see. Okay, so my fourth prediction: uh, I think Ben Ann will be a major winner. Couldn't agree more. He's got all the shots. Plus, he's a big. He's a big time player. I think as in pure the way, a in ball the, striker as there is on the European tour. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's easy to um, maybe dismiss players like Ben Ann and Matt Fitzpatrick who have only just arrived. If you get the chance, to, for instance, this year at Wentworth to to watch Ben Ann hit golf balls, it, it's up there, isn't it, with well, the best? Absolutely. And you, you think back to his amateur championship victory. You think back to his victory at Wentworth. 2015 when he came into it as a relatively unknown player and absolutely wiped the floor with everyone on that field yeah but on that Sunday you're expecting nerves you're expecting him to come back to the pack he just extended his lead he shot something like 66 in the final round of the European Tours flagship event he shot about 18 under yeah it's brilliant. so I, I think he will become a multiple major winner and if you're going to become a multiple major winner then history tells you that you, you're better off winning one when you're young and I think the next four years is prime time for, for someone like him he's got Everything he needs. Yeah, I concur completely. I think that he will win one before 2020 or in 2020 and then one or two more throughout the course of his career. And also look how he conducted himself and look how he played when he... I think he made de- his debut in the, the WGC match play not long ago. Yes, it, uh, the, yeah, the match play in, in Austin, in Texas. Austin, yeah. Looked really, really good and looked yeah. completely at ease in that field. Yeah. As he should do because he's a former US amateur champion and he's just won the European Tour. Obviously, event. just got the big player mindset as well, hasn't yeah. he? he? He, it's funny. I met him in Abu Dhabi at the start of this year, um, and he had the air of a big player yeah. about him. Even though you know, I, I interviewed a lot of players that week who are higher ranked than Ben, and he arrived with an aura of somebody who is. You know, he's not messing around. He's here yeah. for business. What do you want me to do? Uh, I'm not saying he wasn't polite. He was very polite, very easy to, to get along with, and uh, you know, um, nice to be around. But very professional, very business-like, driven, driven, and, and mm. just had that aura of somebody yeah. who's okay. I'm, I'm here to do big things in golf. Yeah. <laughs> you, think, you do meet yeah. people like that. You think from a stepping stone perspective, what he's already done, as as I mentioned, that victory, the seventh on the race to Dubai, and he's he's a young guy, and he's the future is limitless. Yeah for Ben yeah okay so your final prediction so we're going to do the final prediction and then we're going to predict what our world top 10 will be in 2020 so um, yeah final prediction there will be a major staged outside the USA and Great Britain I'm going to disagree with you there with my money on China China then Australia behind that Uh, okay question for you question for you 
it would have to be the US Open. It would have to be the US PGA, right? It would be the PGA. And there, Sorry. there's already been discussion. It's already This came up last year. And the president of the PGA, I forget his name, said he was receptive to the idea. And with so many events going over to the East, both on the European Tour and the PGA Tour, surely the natural next step is for one of the golf's big events to be staged over there, especially when there's rising discontent about the fact that three majors are staged in America, and that's completely disproportionate. I think there's more likely to be a fifth major than there is for the US PGA to be held outside the US for well, two uh, reasons. Okay. One, because the, the US PGA, I mean, it stands for United States Professional Golfers Association. You're going to need your the US Professional Golfers Association, the people on that board, to vote for this through. And... Are they going to want to see that major leave US shores? I'm not sure. The other issue is TV, TV money, TV uh, audience figures. And there's a very simple disconnect. You know, a, a tournament gets held in that part of the world. The TV numbers aren't as good because it's held for the, the Western world, as it were. Yeah, of, of, the of course. But then things like the President's Cup are staged in, in, in the East and the staged in Australia as well. Yeah, and that, I think that's not a major. That's the President's Cup. Still, and and still also half big, the players... Some of the quite a significant number of the players are from that part from of the world, so there's the world. An, an interest there. But with the rising strength of Asian golf as well, that's got to come into it as well. I'm not saying there shouldn't be. Yeah. I just can't see can't see. Well, it happening. My, my statement was there will be a major stage outside the USA. So if they do create a fifth major, uh, I think if they do create a fifth major, it will definitely happen in Asia. And if they don't, the USPGA is the most likely purely because you can't. The US Open is just steeped in history and you just can't move that. You can't move Augusta because it's most people's favourite major. So the only contender is the US PGA. Throw in the fact that they've had discussions and suggested that they'd be receptive to the idea. That's the most likely one. Yeah. Okay. Well, as I say, I think it's more likely that something like the WGC champions would become, a, would, they would try to elevate that sort of major status. Did they do that in the ladies' game? There's five majors in the women's game, isn't there? Uh, the, the Evian became a major. Yeah. Not, there was a major on the Euro- It's very confusing. It was a major on the ladies' European tour for a number of years, and the LPGA tour only added it as a major a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's a bit confusing. So it's an odd system. Yeah. I, I, I actually, from a purely selfish perspective, <laughs> I actually don't want to see that because viewing times are horrendous. I don't want to be getting up at three in the morning to watch a major. They're absolutely perfect for us <laughs> at the moment. We, we talk about this quite often, how great it is that so many are staged in America because you really get that sense of theatre in, in the night time, don't you? You compare oh, the Open yeah. finishing at six versus you're staying up late for the Masters to conclude. It's just something better about it when it happens at night. I agree, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. And it's not too outrageously late. So, for instance, when the US Open was at Torrey Pines, uh, West Coast, it was like I mean, I remember getting to the end of that tournament. I had jet lag, genuinely. I couldn't get to sleep before three o'clock in the morning for about a month after that. Um, so yeah, uh, another example was Chambers Bay when I'd, I'd stayed up because I'd had money on Dustin Johnson. So I went to bed at like three thirty in the morning, and also li- this was a Sunday night, obviously. So going into the working week tired, and <laughs> in the knowledge that Dustin Johnson just lost me four hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Dustin. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah. Um, okay, so my final prediction is that I think between now and 2020, the, the USA will thump Europe in the Ryder Cup. And by thump, I guess that's open for interpretation. But I think, you know, you're talking about a sort of a five point, six point margin of victory. I think it's more likely that the USA won't win a Ryder Cup in that period. Really? I just think, and I've said it for a while now, and I could be completely wrong, I think on paper they're probably stronger this year. They've just heaped so much pressure on themselves with this task force and all that business. If they don't win this year, it's going to be an absolute catastrophe. Where do they go from there? They're just going to be in disarray. It's just I just don't understand why, why they had felt the need to 
do that task force. I think uh, it's ludicrous. I fall into the camp of they're too good. They've got too many good young players coming through who are, who are not uh, scarred by what's happened in the past. You know, there, there is going to be a time when the Jim Furyks, Matt Coochers, Zach Johnsons, Hunter Mayhans of this world move aside. But that's not going to happen in the next four years. Jim Furyk's the kind of guy who'll just be plodding along when he's forty nine. <laughs> Kutcher's not going anywhere because he's so mechanical and so relentlessly solid and so at ease with his game. You need these guys to disappear in order for the fresh blood to come in because you've only got so many captains picks. Just you can't make them disappear though. If they earn their place on the team, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think they will continue to earn their place on the team. I don't see them going away, and I think that's the major issue. So 2020, you think Jim Furyk, Matt Kuchar, Zach Johnson, Furyk maybe not, um, Zach Hunter Zach Mayhem probably. Well, Mayhem's been nowhere at the moment, is he? Don't know what he's doing at the moment. He's, he's struggling really. Uh, Johnson and Kuchar, yes. Furyk maybe not. He's what 45ish at the moment. So yeah, a bit unlikely. Um, wouldn't shock you to see Jim Furyk just because you know what he does. He's he's been so at ease with his game for the best part of ten years, and he's managed to just completely block out the changes going on around him. And he just does this thing, and it's successful every season because there is still a place in the game for hitting fairways and greens and having a good short game. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> as we yes, already said, it wouldn't yeah. shock me. But then, as you say, people with fire like Patrick Reed coming through, Ricky Fowler. You, 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 okay, look at it: Spieth, Reed, Fowler, um, Dustin Johnson. DeChambeau. Yeah. Um, there's going to be players like yeah. Smiley Kaufman and, and, and Justin Thomas. The, yeah. And these, like ki- the, these guys. Snyder Jan, some of the younger, younger yeah, guys. Yeah, that are well coming, through, coming through. That, that, there's two points about them. I think in the era that Tiger Woods was around, he was detached from his fellow player. That's fair. To, despite what you said earlier about him missing being on tour, there's no two ways about it. When Tiger was the world's best, he was the world's best in part because he separated himself uh, socially and um, when he was at golf tournaments from the rest. Whereas Spieth and Fowler and um, and some of the other guys, the Justin Thomases of this world, they're mates, aren't they? You can see it. I mean, we just ran a piece online about uh, the holiday that Fowler and uh, Smiley Kaufman and Jordan Spieth went on after the Masters. These guys are friends and that's what you need to, to win a, a, a you need great players and you need genuine um uh, team, team atmosphere yeah you and, do, that, and you can you see do. it coming it's coming for it the is Americans. coming but it hasn't that really hasn't been present and i think culturally it's really fascinating because everything you do in american sports is, is basically from a young age is geared towards individual success yeah yeah and i find it fact because I, I i follow american sports and and in the golf program, it's always like, who's the NCAA All-Pro champion in, in each team? It's like, who's the MVP? And there's just not that sense of camaraderie and team spirit that we have over here in Europe. And it's just something that, I, I don't know why it's developed like that, but personal gain and personal success seems to be more revered than team success in American sports uh, and from a young age. You're quite right. You're quite right. I just find that the parallels really, or well, the non-parallels really interesting there. Uh, I also think, I agree with what you're saying about the task force uh, heaping pressure on on the Americans, but the Americans have, over the last few years have done what the Europeans have, have sorry, the Europe, yeah, they've not done what the Europeans do. So McGinney will create, the Foster, for instance, last time, Foster's a sort of team atmosphere. He play, has slightly unusual combinations, but he's creating this kind of team environment. Tom, I don't know what Tom Watson was doing at the last Ryder Cup, but he obviously didn't do that. And, that they can't, they can't keep going on, failing, to get it right. No. You know, and Davis Love, I think, was a great captain. He was a good when captain. They came up short. At, I think at they Medina. panicked overly about Watson instead of just saying, "Right, that was a complete disaster. Let's write that one off." 
They and then the if you go back to 2012, <laughs> they were in the driver's seat to win, and Europe had to do something unprecedented to get over the line. And they didn't remind themselves of that. They focused on Watson's poor captaincy and then went down this avenue of doing something really extreme. And what are they talking about in those meetings? We didn't play well enough. <laughs> yeah, you didn't hold enough putts, mate. <laughs> I mean, it's quite clear why they didn't win the <laughs> Come on. Yeah, and but I, everyone's going to be asking them about the look, task force I and the lead-up to was the an, Cup it, There and... must have been enough feedback from the players that week to say that there wasn't enough of a team atmosphere, and that when you p- hold the Americans up against the Europeans, there is this gulf. You know, the Europeans are all pulling in the same directions; the Americans don't. And I think the, they're not stupid. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. I like the proactive approach. I just think it's a very American construct to do something <laughs> it, it like this. It is quite, isn't it? It's a very, it? yeah. When you should just credit Davis Love with the knowledge to be able to fix it and, and learn lessons from the past. But also, and also, he's friends with the place. He should just go around quietly, ask them what they thought went well, what, what they thought needs to be fixed, and then build that into a plan without getting all this media furore about this task force, which is just going to haunt them as they... If they lose, it will haunt them, and they'll just have to talk about it all the time in the in the lead up to. But the they event. are trying to come up with a plan for the future. Yeah, I, aren't they? That, so I don't think it needs to be done in the public sphere. But what what they're doing is they're trying to create vice captains each time that will go on to become captains, so that you keep yeah. that continuity. So you I look like at the McGinley was a, a vice captain, Darren Clark was a, uh, a vice captain, uh, and all the way down. And oh, the one who didn't do so well, Nick Fowler. Pretty sure I'm not. He might have been a vice captain at some point. I can't remember it. Why um, does it need to be in the public domain? What it's just so ostentatious. It can just be done way more subtly, and I think they should have done that. I, I admire the practice because the American public are crying out, why, aren't they? That's, that's why they have to do it in the public to make the American public want to know what. Ultimately, I, I really, do, I just think that's going to heat more pressure on them. Well, we shall see, Nick. Yeah. I look forward to playing this podcast back to you when we get thumped <laughs> on the Monday morning after a Ryder Cup, and we come in the office. That will cheer me Seems up. Seems strange to say, but I quite like the Americans to win. <laughs> Just so it becomes more of a... Because last year's Ryder Cup wasn't great, was it? It wasn't the best. You basically knew on Sunday morning. I know it seems remiss to say this two years after Medina, where you thought it was done on the Sunday as well, but it had the air of being completely finished on that Sunday. You just didn't see a comeback happening. No, no, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Uh, Okay, so our final port of call is going to be to to list out what we think the world's top 10 will be in 2020. Um, so without further ado Nick why don't you you go go from 10 to 1 okay number 10 Thomas Peters <laughs> number 9 he, he, he's on he's, his poster of him is on your bedroom wall next yeah. to Justin Rose and uh, Victor Dubois on it probably explains why you haven't got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah. carry on as you were uh, number 8 sorry number 10 Thomas Peters Number nine, Brandon Grace. Number eight, Ben Ann. Number seven, Bryson DeChambeau. Number six, Ricky Fowler. Number five, Justin Rose. Number four, Hideki Matsuyama. <laughs> number three, Rory McIlroy. Number two, Jordan Spieth. Number one, Jason Day. Wow. Uh, Fowler quite a long way down that list. Well, no. Six. Six. Yeah. I think that's, that's worse about where he should be. years. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. So you rate Hideki Matsuyama higher than Ricky Fowler? Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. Okay. That's Such fair, a fair enough. Top quality ball striker who's only going to get better as he becomes more culturally familiar with the United States. He's got work to do on his putting, but he is absolutely majestic from tee to green and seems very unflappable as well. I must admit, when I was doing my list of 10, I didn't think about Matsuyama. If I had, I think I probably would have picked him. Damn it. Um, and Jason Day to be world's number one. Yeah, I just think 
he doesn't have you look at McElroy weak on the greens you look at Spieth doesn't have an amazing tee to green game but when Day is playing well his putting is phenomenal his short game the short game he displayed at the match play was as good as anything I'd seen in, in recent years hits it 380 yards off the tee and the only thing is he's slightly erratic but as we've mentioned on most American courses that's not really a massive factor so for me when as I've said before in this podcast the accepted wisdom seems to be that when they're all playing at their best McElroy wins I disagree I think Day wins it's interesting. You look at um, Jason Day's major record. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. So he's obviously only won one, but he's knocked on the door for many years. Basically consistently since 2010. He he has that thing, doesn't he, that Tiger had, which is he understands exactly how to get himself primed for a major. So you might not see Jason Day for a month and then he'll pop up at a major and he'll play well. And um, that's a... Sp- special ability ability that not many players have I, you can't you can't argue with, who am I to argue with Jason Day being world number one in four years time he, he, he might well be uh, the other name I was, I was interested to hear was um, Brandon Grace uh, and he's a great player yeah. um, whether or not I think he's I don't know whether I think he's world top 10 I, um, I see him as a top 10 consistently talent. for five years I don't know but because he's what what one five times on the European tour over the last three seasons he just broke his duck in America when he was in contention at the US Open he looked brilliant he's got all the shots he holds out so well his only real weakness is sort of long range putting but hits the ball a long way can shape the ball both ways no weakness and he's got the bit between his ears <laughs> the bit between his teeth or the bit between his ears the bit between his ears the brain the mindset oh, sorry. <laughs> I think I may, I may have may have mixed up two expressions that throwing you um, I just I really really like Brandon Grace's game yeah so do I so do I um, I just see him as a top 10 talent yeah I mean basically all these guys on the list have better than Louis uh, you got to look at things like injuries though haven't you with Louis you do he's a, a trouble no doubt back. that when he's on he's absolutely a top 10 talent a, a top 5 talent when he's playing his best golf but he's been injured a lot over the years um, well, uh, one thing I, was... I think also with Grace is that he's proved that he's got such a good conversion percentage when he's in and around the lead and when he holds a 54 hole lead he rarely loses it and I think that's something really significant to look at we talked about Garcia earlier as someone who very rarely gets over the line when he should um, Brandon Grace is the complete opposite he's converts more than you would expect and, and certainly more than the, the tour average I would say um, and that's very significant he's got a great golf swing as well hasn't he yeah. it's, it's always not, not nice much that can go wrong to watch people I mean, <laughs> Obviously, something did go wrong on the 16th hole at James Bay, but you look at that and think not much can go wrong with it, with the action. Uh, okay, so I'm good caddy, experienced caddy as well. Brandon oh, Grace. Yep, always useful. Always useful. I mean, the, be- the best players in the world have always had a good caddy, haven't they? This is probably no. Um, I don't know whether you but would are say. Are they good caddies? Yeah. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I think they go on forever. Y- y- you need a good partnership, I would think. Interestingly, but. there was, uh, on a related point, there was a, a golf or Sports Illustrated poll that went around all the three tours recently, and the question was, it was a yes or no answer, should Callies get 10%? And I think 60-odd percent said yes. Maybe even more. So, there you go. 60-odd percent of who? Of the players polled. The players? That, yeah, Callies should get. Right. Should get 10%, yeah. Okay. Read into that what you will. Yeah. Okay, well, that uh, leads me into... I'll, uh, list out my top 10 for 2020 uh, number 10 oh hang on a second have I only picked 9 1 2 oh, yeah, can 3 4 put 5 6 enough. 7 8 9 I've only, I've only even made good effort there I, I've a chance to count to 10 and I've managed to get to 9 <laughs> um, ok so number 10 Hideki Matsuyama <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'm just noting that down. Okay, number 10. Uh, so very considered. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama. Number 9, Patrick Reed. 8, Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, 7, Matt Fitzpatrick. 6, Ben Ann. 5, Dustin Johnson. 4, Ricky Fowler. 3, Jordan Spieth. 2, Jason Day. 1, Rory McIlroy. Solid list. Uh, Fitzpatrick's a bit surprising for me. Um, explain yourself. <laughs> uh, he's got that bit of special something, hasn't he? No? Do you not think so? Yeah. He's a winner. He's a he's a uh, he's learning his art, his craft. He's getting better all the time. Every year he seems to be getting better. He's getting longer. He's hitting the ball yeah. further. He's becoming a better ball striker. And you can't replace that. Um, experience of being a big amateur player you know he's not been a great amateur player by um, by chance yeah. you know you win the US amateur yeah. you're a great player great player and yeah he obviously did I think crucially he has put on a lot of distance recently yeah played really well at Augusta shot bogey 367 in the final round yeah. to finish in the top 10 and also Nick don't forget he, he won at um at Woburn and won the English Masters British, British Masters, Masters. sorry <laughs> British Masters, sorry, all our Scottish and Welsh uh, and Northern Irish followers. Uh, British Masters. Um, uh, and that was one of the bit h- highest pressure tournaments of the year for a British player. Given the fact that he was a rookie, um, he had been knocking on the door a few times last year. But to hold your nerve, because yeah. it, it was it, big crowds, first and foremost, big tournament on TV. A lot of you family know, a lot of friends people there as well. Yeah. And he made that brilliant two on the 17th. Exactly. Yeah. And it's knowing that there's this big moment on the horizon and being not scared to go and grab it that's a great sign that's what all the champions have because let's face it you look at those top 10 players we've listed out there's not a single shot that any of them can't hit yeah we've talked about Ben Am being a great ball striker we've talked about Jason Day being a great ball striker Matsuyama being a great they can all do it. Yeah, they can. They can all do it. Um, there's varying levels of putting. There's varying levels of ball striking. But they they can all hit all the shots in the book. What really separates them is who's toughest in the head. Yeah, and it's, I a, think it's a solid argument. I just think that the density of players vying for a spot on this list means that naturally someone has to miss out. And I just wouldn't be surprised if that was Fitzpatrick. Okay. Um, um, I like Reed in there as well, though. Like yeah. you talk about resolute dogged fighter who just refuses to lie down and be beaten is Patrick Reed. And what I love about him is his driving his driving accuracy and greens and regulation statistics are absolutely shocking. <laughs> well, at least they were last season. He's <laughs> right, right, like okay. outside the top one fifty in those two. But he gets the ball in the hole. His scrambling is brilliant and he just refuses to lie down and be beaten. And that's the mark of a real champion. He is if you go back and look at his stats, it's really fascinating to see. Because he just I'd like Tiger had the ability to just find a way to get the ball in the hole Reed seems to possess that as well he's got that bit of arrogance that I like that kind of thing that says there's a bit more to him he's there's self-confidence that runs pretty deep um and that you can't buy that really absolutely and I, I I'm sure he rubs it. people right up the, the wrong way but I, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of Patrick now I wrote a, a five-page feature on him for a previous issue and it was really interesting doing some research into his character what he was like at college but what i really like about him is the fact that he's come over to play the european tour and sign up to be a member um just so many americans just don't choose to go down that path and and it makes you a better player because you've got to deal with different cultures different landscapes different types of courses and and develop different skills it shows a level of ambition doesn't it does it it does and it shows an acceptance that there is a world outside the united states which is a a cultural criticism sometimes leveled at our uh, american friends Indeed. So kudos well, to him for that. One thing I would say, but having looked at your list, having looked at my list, and having thought about 
who the world's top 10 might be in 2020 is how it's not going to be that different to how it is now how golf must be in fantastic hands because you know Rory Jason Day Jordan Spieth Ricky Fowler Dustin Johnson you'd be shocked if they weren't up there yeah, I actually don't have you've got, not got Dustin Johnson Dustin on there. my list um, I think that's probably a product of an oversight maybe an oversight <laughs> but maybe just the fact that his I know he spent time away from the game before he's got issues careful Nick careful <laughs> away from the course maybe some would argue um, I just don't see a level of focus in his eyes that I see in everyone else's having said that he's a prodigious talent and that perhaps was an oversight he's, but he's, I think it's interesting he's also going to win a major surely can't uh, keep looking you would at the think, door like he has and think, not win one you would think hopefully he's not too emotionally scarred I think he'll win one, yeah. I, I do. don't think he's emotionally bothered at no, all. Well, I, think, no, I think that's actually a facade. Uh, well, I, you know what? It's his defence mechanism. I would, have, I would have agreed with you on that. I think any time that a player tries to tell you that something that's happened in their past doesn't bother them, that's the sort of amateur psychologist inside them at work. I interviewed Dustin Johnson at the Open this year on the Monday of Open Week, and it was his first event since missing the short putt at Chambers Bay and kind of falling away right at the end of the tournament. He absolutely should have won. He should have won it twice that's over. It, yeah. He played so much better than everybody else. And we talked about what happened at Chambers Bay. And it's almost as if he couldn't remember. And I don't think it... I, I stood opposite him and I was asking the questions and he was looking at me with the answers. And he's one. He's a bizarre character, mm. I would say, because he, he it just looked as if he... He uh, was on a, a sort of slightly different planet to the rest of us. He, it's like he, he wasn't bothered. He wasn't yeah. bothered. Yeah. And you would think that's impossible. Maybe he, he it is a, a very elaborate... Uh, deception, you know, defense mechanism to prevent himself from getting. I'm not too... sure he's that complex a character. No, though, it, it just struck me as that he's yeah. just not that bothered, and that that's another argument why I didn't put him in my top ten. Yeah, I can see him losing interest quicker than perhaps some of the others. Although four years time, you you would still expect him to be there or thereabouts. Absolutely. I mean, it's curious that we both got Ben Ann in there and actually quite high up as well. So we all... and Deschambeau and Deschambeau, yeah, um, and Matsuyama. <laughs> I th- I don't think you'd find. I mean, always with these things, there'll be someone who comes from nowhere to force their way into a list, into this list. But I think if you asked fifty people, fifty other journalists, fifty golf watchers, the list wouldn't be too dissimilar to ours. It wouldn't be. There, there might well be, as you say, there might well be some so a, a, a some, kind of oh, a young seventeen-year-old well. now. Yeah. yeah I, there's just they're quite well, simply there's not space for could, well, could well be in, in there couldn't he yeah. um, there might well be a 17 year old out there now who does what Rory did yeah. and does what Jordan did does has you done. don't hear about these guys do you there hasn't really been that much buzz on a 16 17 year old that you can th- that I can think of uh, I'm sure there to is the someone out there that there was with with Rory say yeah but Ricky. that's I'm sure there's someone out there yeah. someone will uh, uh, I'm sure people out there will let us know yeah. <laughs> um, okay uh, that brings us to the end of uh, this predictions podcast um obviously uh those are just uh nick and i that there are our opinions about what the future of golf might entail um we'll put some, a piece together on the website about this so if you have any um predictions of your own any thoughts about some of the things that we've said um then please do let us know um comment on that that article because i think it's a great place to uh, to start the debate uh but nick thank you for joining me thank you no it's enjoyable love enjoyed it Good, and uh, we look forward to uh, welcoming you into the clubhouse next time.